welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Our desire at Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois, is to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to our guest minister for today. Got a ton. I got to tell you that a lot of the DNA of this church, a lot of the culture of this church has come through the conversations and the relationship that I've had with Brian and Val. They're like, they're like beloved East. <laughs> they are of your culture. And so I would like for you to, with all of your heart, welcome and appreciate Brian and or Val if they're going to, if she's going to come up. Thank you. I'm stealing the mic this time. (laughs) Usually I stand up and wave to everybody and then I sit down. But I wanted to greet you and tell you how much I love you. And that uh, we're so thankful and honored to be partnered with Beloved Church. And when Steve said he's heard me whining or whatever, he said, that's not true. We've never heard them whine about their church. Like, they love you. They love you deeply. And this church loves deeply. And I'm so happy to be partnered with you sharing the gospel. Amen. You can just keep going if you... (laughs) Amen. What do I do with... Just toss it somewhere? All right. Well, it is a delight to be here, and um, I'm going to just echo something that my wife says, is you, when you're surrounded by someone that is so deeply passionate about the conviction and love for God and will stand that course regardless of what comes at it, it's pretty honoring to be around that. And even me and me and Steve will pull out our swords and we'll touche each other for a little bit and we'll get into our fun little uh, uh, conversations. But you only do that someone where you deeply love them because you know at the end of the duel, you're going to be standing next to each other fighting with each other. That is something that's a depth of relationship that doesn't form very easy. And... Uh, we're just so honored, and we can maybe just have a special service of all our honor. You know, we can just do that. Um, before I get started, there is a lady here that has something wrong with their elbow. And there's like this, I don't know, I can't get it off my head, and I, when this happens, I might as well just interrupt everything. So this is going to completely disrupt the flow of everything. But I've been known to do that before. Who, who's the person that's just, they're having a problem with their elbow, tendonish, nervous, something here. And, and I'm patient. I'll just stand here and wait for that person. <laughs> Is there someone here that has, would you mind if I just prayed for you? Because you've been on my mind ever since we've been in praise and worship and I have to, uh, we have to deal with that. All right. Is it bothering you now? Okay, so if you guys will just agree with me, we're just going to pray and we're just going to let the Holy Spirit exude out of her and we're just going to see something happen. Can I just hold your hand real quick? What's your name? Uh, Paige. Paige. My daughter's middle initial is, middle name is Paige. It's a long middle initial. Thanks for coming up. It takes a lot of courage to walk up here because you're like, what is going on? Why am I this going? Real quick, can you tell me what's wrong with your elbow? Okay. Did you do anything? Does it hurt now or is it bothering you now? All right. Do you want to see that to go away? All right. That's what the Father loves. Father, right now in Jesus' name, we just thank you for Paige and we just thank you for your heart that some, you have been thinking about her since last night over this elbow. And Father, in the name of Jesus, I just command this pain to leave. Spirit of God, I thank you that you're rising up strong in Paige, that who she is is greater than what her body says it's going to do. And Father, in the name of Jesus, we just command this body to submit to who you are. And and in the name of Jesus, pain leave. And elbow be free. 
And you will serve Paige all the days of her life till she's done with you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Can you move your arm? How does it feel? Just pretty good? or do, I'm, We're willing to stand around. It's all good. Can I ask you a question? What were you? There's something you were talking to God about, and your elbow came up somewhere in your prayer. Mm, he heard. Amen. And he's willing to disrupt the whole service because you're worth it. Amen. Thank you. Sometimes you're wondering if you're hearing right because I can't come up and then say, okay, I got a word from God for you this morning and that doesn't all turn out. It always turns out because you know God loves us. Man, he loves us. You know, even everything that was said this morning, and I was just listening to all those words that were coming out, and I'm like, oh, please don't go down that journey, because that's what I was going to be talking about. So everything was flowing, and a lot of it was an expression of the action that it looks like. And I've discovered something, even when I'm hearing, whether it's James or Peter and, or Paul, and sometimes we hear the grace of God and the love of God, and then James talks. And it's like, well, wait a second, this just kind of, you know, everybody's wanted to tear that book out of the Bible from Martin Luther King Jr. to, right? Because he, James has a way of not acting in a manner that is conducive to the good feeling that the others talked about. As I begin meditating, I realize it's the same love. It's such a deep love that he wants you to get a hold of something And he hates what the enemy has done to you. And it's really more addressing to what's holding you back, not what you're doing wrong. And he's so passionate. Here's the guy that in history, we have Jesus' brother, James, who basically doesn't have much thought towards Jesus. And here he is sharing this experience. And so I'm saying all that in light of is, A lot of times when people are expressing something, if you want to interpret a how-to, do something for God, you will interpret those things being said as steps. I I want you to catch my heart here. There are steps, right? Ask a farmer how you start the process of growing a field. There's, There's steps to that. But it's not so much about the steps. It's really more about the author of what the information is coming. It's, it's about the heart of, of the individual or the one that is speaking to you. It's a relationship. And so a lot of times you'll hear things, and I, I heard these great words, and they're, and they're trying to express what they're, what they're seeing. And if you don't allow the heart of the spirit of what they're saying, you'll see steps. And that's usually where your brain either gets on board or goes, eh. Right? That, that's really where it gets stuck. Don't do that. Let, start seeing, Father, what are they seeing in you that they're expressing? Because we have to articulate this somehow. All right? I just wanted to lay that out for you this morning so we could get into what I want to get into. Job. Your guys' favorite book. We've mastered the book of Job. We're not really going to be talking about Job today, but there's a point in Job that I want you to hear. And it begins in chapter 42, in verse 1. Let me just give you a little hint. If you read the end of something, it will probably give you a better perspective of what's going on in the journey. Forty-two, verse one. Then Job answered the Lord and said, "This is going to go through verse five. I know that you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you." This is a powerful point when you start speaking to the author of the thing that is giving you information. Job is recognizing the absolute authority of the one that's speaking. 
You asked, so Job is answering, you asked, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Job 41 chapters is a dialogue of men that did not understand God. Let that sink in for a moment. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please. He's speaking to God. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard of you with the hearing of my ear. But now my eyes see you. We, as believers, guilty as charged, love to create what we learn about God and then create a nice garden to keep Him in that place. Then when new information, we stay there for a long time, and things are growing. And the moment new information comes in, we don't want to let go of our garden. When the new information would expand your garden. Because we know so much about God, but we don't know Him. Because we don't see We're still looking to see at times. I'm speaking to believers here. I I know in this room, we're really talking about someone else. But, you know the cycle. You start out in religion that God's doing everything to you and you're just a pawn. So you're trying to figure out how you make it through, right? We kind of... Many of you have started there, especially in American world, right? We, it's Christian, so we have all these systems and principles, and here's what you do to be a good Christian, and you do these steps, and you do these steps, and things are going wrong, and the air conditioner breaks, and the car breaks down, and we wonder why God, and, you know, and then all the nice little doctrines that form to those issues that are taking place, right? And then we form them, and, but if we try to rise up out of that, then our friends and our family want to remind us of who do we think we really are, and so then we step back down and we slide back into that spot and then we're going and inside something is turmoiling in us and then we become ultimately frustrated where we either say, God, I don't want nothing to do with you or we say there's got to be something more. Unfortunately, it's usually I don't want nothing to do with you because if this is who you are, then I don't want anything to do with you. Right? That, I know nobody's been there. This was kind of my journey. Then you discover... The integrity of God's Word. Wow. Everything He says is true. He will hold to His Word. Do you know God has limitations? He won't violate His Word. Because it's what He is. And when you start learning that, you learn your authority, you learn your purpose, you start learning who you are, and you start figuring out, wow, I've been subject to the enemy's schemes, and I don't have to be anymore. And all of a sudden, you have this strength, and this confidence starts, starts flowing until it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> so then we start the cycle over, and we create new systems to make. Well, maybe if I did it 16 times, and I remember in Bible school, and God bless all of us, we were growing. I remember in Bible school, there was this point, it's like, you praying for someone, like, how's, how's your elbow doing? Amen. How hard did we have to pray for that? We just agreed with what God was wanting to do all along. It's like, we just kind of got out of the way, Amen. But I remember in Bible school, we were so zealous to see the world out of, the, out of their mess that we would, in the name of Jesus, oh, that one didn't work, in the name of Jesus, Jesus, 
Jesus, Jesus, emergency tongues, Jesus, Jesus. Well, here's why it's not working. It's you. It's not me. You know, it's like all this stuff, right? And we're zealous. I, I, I think God smiles, right? Because our kids do stuff like this too. But, but we had all these rules and we thought if we emphasized it better, or we're more passionate or, or something and, and it still didn't work. So then we started into a different cycle and then we felt condemned and not worth God because if God loved us, we, if you really were loved by God and you had faith, then this would be happening. See, you're sick because you don't have faith. You don't have this. You don't have this. You don't have this. So now we're going to go fix all that. Now we're back in a new system of new rules that are going to be shaping us back together again. So we have new knowledge about God because, hey, if it didn't work for Bill and Sally, it's obviously not going to work for me. So let's create a religion because truly I don't want to be the first one that's going to cross out of that barrier. Amen, Brian. <clears throat> then you discover God just loves you. Hallelujah. His grace comes in and it's like, Brian, none of that stuff has anything to do with my relationship with you. You can't earn what I've given you. Let me give you a picture. We have brand new believers that have just... Uh, these new Thai believers, and they, they live in a kingdom. They don't live in the type of country we live in. They live in a kingdom, so they understand kingship, hierarchy, uh, class systems. It's just a part of it. And they were asking, they just became believers, how are we supposed to pray? How do we pray for our needs? How do we pray for things? You know, how do, how do we pray for that kind of stuff? What's the process to pray because they are the most karma related like i'm sitting there watching wow i did all that stuff just to get god to love me too it's like it's the same the satan uses the same thing he gets you trapped into a system to enslave you so you could dump the responsibility on the system versus you having to own what you actually are so they're wondering and i said before we answer that question let me ask you a citizen of Thailand, if they needed to petition the king, what would be the outcome if they could get a hearing before the king? What would be the outcome of your petition? Well, we don't know. Depends on what the king wants to do. But if the king approves your thing, what would happen? Oh, then it would, it would go through. But you don't know what the king's going to do. Because you're bringing your petition because you're a citizen. So you're still kind of in that place of you don't know. But maybe if I did more to please the king, I can get his attention. And if I get his attention, then I can get more chance to be in front of him. And if I get to be in front of him, then he might grant me the thing that I'm trying to get. Because that's what we're great at is the master of spiritual manipulation. But I said, according to John that you just read, that you have a right to be called the child of God... Let me ask you, first of all, how do you get into the royal family? Could I be a king if I worked hard enough at it, right? Because we can be anything that we want. Our world says, I could, hey, you only live once and I get to be anything I want. I could, you can't stop me from becoming what I want. Well, you can't be the king of Thailand. <laughs> and let me tell you why. You are of the wrong bloodline. It doesn't matter what you do, you can never be in the royal family of Thailand. They got this. I said, so let me ask you a question. What is the prayer request of someone of the royal family when they go before the king? So, well, we don't have need. They don't have needs of any of these type of things. They're not worrying about what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, how's their business going to turn out, what's all... It's not even a question. They already have that. How do I rule? What's my influence point? How do I go represent you over here? How can I go handle this? How do I expand the kingdom? How do I do... And they got it. I'm like, you guys didn't even go to Bible school. We still don't get it. And we go to Bible school. They understood the kingdom. And they understood what their place was in the kingdom. And we've seen miracles that they do. So I'm sitting there going, 
you haven't even read that in the Bible and you're doing that. How is that possible? Because they understood what they are. So a little bit with knowing who you are is far greater than all the knowledge in the world and you still don't know who he is and who you are. So I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. And I find it interesting of how much we're almost afraid of knowing God because the responsibility of that relationship and the ownership of that relationship falls on you. I'm not talking about you're going to lose it. I'm talking about He's going to speak to you and He's going to challenge your heart and He's going to move on you to step into arenas that are unfamiliar and un. And I don't mean unfamiliar that you have to move to another country. I'm talking about unfamiliar with what you've set up in your rules of control. This really became evident to me as I I was meditating over coming back to America. What what should I be? God, what's your heart for where we're going and how do we adapt it to each person? Because each group is different and each each people is different. But I, I want them to know you. I don't want them to know more information. I want them to be inspired by other believers. I want the spirit of each one of you to inspire each other. But just like we learned the offering, you're responsible. You own it. When you get to heaven, you can't say this person told me to do this and Pastor Steve, I didn't like how he did that. So I left and did this. And you, you can't say that stuff. Because God's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? That's the only, you're the only one who's accountable. But here's the good news. Only the righteous are brought before judgment. According to Psalms. The ungodly are cast away. I, I want to come before judgment. It's a little positive note there for someone who was bothered over that. But what if I mess it up? You will. How does a child know their parents? Did they come out of the womb walking? Sprinting? Did you send them off to some school to learn how to hear your voice? What was the manual you handed your infant when they were born? What, what group did you send them to to go raise them in an orphanage to go lo- learn how to interact with their father when their father's standing right there? That sounds just absolutely absurd, what I just said. That's how we've made God. I send them around a bunch of orphans to learn who their father actually is. So one day I can know God as a father. But see, it's in the little things when you're stepping and you're falling, that's when the parents are laughing and interacting. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. Come on. And they're crawling and they're laughing and they're waddling and then they fall and then you still change their diapers and they don't care and they just leave it for you. They're just free to go. They don't know anything at two years old what you're actually saying. Oh, but they know your voice. It says the sheep know my voice, the voice of a stranger they're not follow. You don't need to master his words to know his voice when he's speaking it to you. Because then you will know the word that you need for the moment in that time because you'll know his voice. John chapter 9 and verse 1. The first blind man. And as I meditated on this, I, I, God began speaking to me. He said, this is the first time someone understood my glory. This is the first time someone... This is a picture of our new birth experience. This is the picture of favor and blessing poured onto an individual. But I'm here to tell you, the world around you ain't going to be happy about it. So Jesus, in verse 1, it says, Now as Jesus passed by, because he had to leave the last place, because they were trying to stone him, because the great disruptor tends to wander through town. So now he's on his way through, and Jesus passed by, and he saw a man who was blind from the birth. And I love this next verse because this is so, so scholarly of the disciples. 
So they looked at Jesus in all their brilliance and said, Rabbi, who sinned, the man or his family? The blind man is probably within earshot, and one thing you know, if you've lost one sense, your other senses are probably a little bit more attuned. They don't ask the man, they don't interact with the man. They look at the man and they ask this question. Because in Jewish culture, if this is happening, there's sin in your life, and if there's sin in their life, you're an outcast from God. That's who they're talking about. So they're wanting to know who caused this problem because that would make them feel a whole lot better because they're not like that. At least I'm not like him. Yeah, Jesus, what's up with that guy? Parents, did parents screw up? Or did he do something to... Okay, he was born blind, so that would be a tough one. Jesus' answer said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So obviously God made him blind so God could show us something. No. He's not addressing the question. I don't care why this man is in the situation that he is, because in Jesus' eyes, they're all the same. I want to show you what it's like when light comes into the heart of man. Because then glory comes out because the king does not get glory unless the thing about his kingdom is expanded. So when it says that we lay our crowns down and then he also set at his feet in worship, we have to remember we get our crowns because of the glory that he gives us. So we're really just giving back to what he is and then he's giving back to us and it's hard to get, you're stuck in this reciprocal cycle of love. But your honor, the reason, the way the glory can go throughout the world is if you go. So when you are changed and transformed and light has come and you start just walking in that light, there's a glory of Him and it begins affecting change. And I will tell you the first aspect of affected change isn't always the one that we like. As long as, so he goes, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said these things, he spit on the ground, made clay with saliva, and he, I've, I've talked about this several times. I know there is some scientific things to the idea of the saliva, the mud, and all of that. I know there's some amazing stuff to that. I don't want to talk about that stuff right now. I want you to get you to this man who didn't know any of that stuff. The man didn't know the scientific approach that if the right saliva and DNA would change his life. There is truth in those things. So don't get me wrong. I'm just saying I want you to interpret it from this because this is why we don't receive easily from the Father. It's because we're trying to analyze the approach that he should do in order to accomplish the thing we're needing. Now Isaiah said, I am going to make streams in the desert. I am going to do a new thing, so quit remembering the things of old because I'm going to do a new thing, which means you don't get to measure how the new thing is going to be. In fact, you can't, because it's new. It's not a rebuilt car. We know how that's supposed to go. It's new. So when he had said these things... I want you to imagine this man who's a sinner. So if the disciples who are spiritual are walking by with the love of God, which is Jesus, and their first response was to find out who needs to be condemned over this man's condition without even interacting with the man himself, they didn't think much of him. I'm sure he's heard the sound of someone getting ready to spit before. It wasn't a sign of, great, my eyes are going to open. Jesus spits, and then he goes into the dirt. He heard that sound before too. Because that's where he sat, on his place in the road to make income. So his job, to take care of his family, to take care of and and to do what he needs to do, is in that spot sitting. Jesus spits, 
takes the, doesn't talk to the man yet, interacts with him and sticks the dirt in his eye that has mud like a clay. And he tells the man, go wash. He doesn't lead him to where to go wash. I find it also interesting, he didn't create a special propaganda thing to go into the community to find a way to get special sidewalks for the blind people to get easier into the Pool of Siloam. He's so unkind. No, that is not true. A kind person doesn't find a way for you to stay in your problem. He finds a way to help you out of it. It does, whoever said that in their head, it doesn't mean we don't do what we can do with what's in front of us to offer what we have. I'm just saying the goal is to get them over here, not to find a way to make them more comfortable with where they're at. Just saying. Talk to Steve if you don't like what I'm saying. I'm sure he'll help you navigate it in a very diplomatic manner. He usually laughs at me. So, go wash in the pool of Siloam to be sent. So he went and washed and he came back seeing. Jesus wasn't around. He basically spits on the ground, sticks dirt in his eye and says, hey, go wash. The guy goes and washes. He goes on and the guy comes back seeing and Jesus is nowhere to be found. So just pause. This man had never seen before. And he's seeing things. Just ponder what that would be like for a moment. You know what things sound like and what they feel like, but now you're trying to put all that together. Your world has dramatically changed. It's a new world. I don't care what you knew about that old world. You could look at the exact same thing you've looked at your whole life, and it is not the same. The perspective is not the same. The reality of it is not the same. It is not the same. When you can see in your heart and you see something, you can't go unsee it. You can't go back. And I love how his neighbors were so excited about this guy had never seen before, and now he could see, and his neighbors were just festively partying over this amazing thing. No, they don't even talk to him. They whisper, Who is he? Wait, isn't he the son of da 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 da? Wasn't he sitting over in his place? Yeah, I don't know. It looks like him. But I'm not sure. But do you think it's really him? Because he was a sinner in all this stuff. Remember, remember. I'm sure he did something wrong. Because God wouldn't have done that to him. I wonder what God's really trying to teach him. Maybe God's trying to teach him something. By the way, if we learn from all of our problems, uh, we wouldn't have any anymore because there's just enough in this room that we've all gone through. You learn by what you let God come out in the middle of your problem, not from the problem. By the way, I'm not speaking at you. I'm kind of reinforcing myself as I drift off sometimes in those modes. So they won't talk to him. And he finally says, I'm he. Hey, quit talking about me. I'm right here. I am the one who is sitting on the side of the road. I couldn't see. I can see. So now they're super, the neighbors are super excited about this amazing miracle of the glory of God that just was revealed in this person. Man, they were so excited, so they wanted to really celebrate. So they go down to Pharisees to have them test what it was. They still haven't talked to the man yet. And then finally, he got to the Pharisees and he answered, said, A man called Jesus made clay, put it in my eyes, I washed and I see. I want you to catch how simple the Father is to His people, to His children. Because later on, regarding this story, He talks about being the sheep, and they hear My voice, and the voice of a stranger they won't follow. He didn't know theology, He didn't know all those rules, but what He knew 
was the one that spoke, did something to his heart, and he believed what he said, I went, I washed, and I see. Really great theology. I'm being emphatic with you because in this room is so much, this is amazing what has happened in the last two years. What the enemy went to destroy, God has absolutely redeemed. What the canker worm has destroyed, God has redeemed. And it's better. But you didn't know this is how it's going to turn out. But you did it anyway. You did what you knew to do based on the Father's nature in that moment. And you no longer look to what the outcome would be, but because it was right. Now you understand what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saying when they said, Our God is when Nebuchadnezzar said, Bow, or we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. My God is able and He will deliver us, Nebuchadnezzar. But, even if He does not, we won't bow. A Jewish rabbi was asked one time to explain faith. And he said, the Christians actually understand it a little bit better with grace. But the best way I can understand faith is everybody says faith is when you know God will catch you so you let go. He said, that's not faith. Faith is just letting go because it's right. And God always catches you. The rest is called karma. It's karma. You'll do it if. Well, I'll do it if. As long as I can hold on to part of my life, I'll do it. So here he is, he's being in, in, the, in the Inquisition with the Pharisees. They got him at the table, the spotlight shined on his face. So tell us, what happened? And he tells them. And then they said, so is, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Could Jesus just heal on Thursdays? We wouldn't even have a book to write about. No, he did it on the day of rest. But it would have made things a lot simpler for him if he would have just done it on the right day. He's not of God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. And others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. I love how the glory of God divides the wheat from the chaff. It just starts dividing. It starts separating. You could hear it in the conversations. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? So the first thing that's being challenged is who he is. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to receive this? So the first thing the enemy goes after is who you are. Why are you deserving on it? Why did that person get it? What happened over here? How come? How come? How come? It's not your story. Focus on your story. C.S. Lewis said when the horse and the boy, when the boy wouldn't respond to Aslan, he was afraid of the lion. And finally the lion got a hold of him and the boy was, 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 was scared. And Aslan said, be calm. And the boy said, yeah, but I saw what you did. He said, that's not your story. I'm here to tell you your story. So the blind man says, who, do you, who is this man? The second thing the enemy goes after is who is the one who spoke this? See, you don't know who you are until you know who your father is. Once you know who your father is, you know who you are. The next part is the challenging of who your father actually is. And if the enemy can get in between that idea, he can have you. 
But if you can't separate those two ideas, something nuclear takes place in the environment that you're in. It, that would be the fusion of a nuclear armament. He's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind. I love that. Okay, but maybe he just never was blind. He's making this whole thing up. You guys do this in your head sometimes. The moment you start believing them, I, I guarantee some of this dialogue has gone in your own head. You didn't even need someone else to tell you. Well, I don't deserve that. Well, you know, if I wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't be in the situation. Therefore, I wouldn't need God to actually help me. So maybe if I just go get that right, then he would have more pity on me to, to, to fix this the next time. You can't fix yourself. So just let him in the first place. And then go from there. But the Jews did not believe, so they went to his parents. Now, we know his parents will eagerly stand up for him, right? Because that's what parents do. They don't worry about their environments, their world, and how it's going to affect anything. They just are all in. Parents of him who received sight, and they asked him, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How does he now see? So his parents took a bold stance and stood up with strength and declared the glory of God over his son. No. His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son. And we know that he was born blind. Brilliance here. We know these things. But by what means he now sees, we don't know. Or who opened his eyes, we don't know. He's of age. Ask him. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said he's of age. Ask him. Now, this sounds really harsh, but I want you to put it into context. Your job your livelihood, your place in the community. The synagogue, you don't have a job in Jewish world unless you're approved in the synagogue. This wasn't if Steve doesn't like the way you fix a tire, you can't get a job at another mechanic shop. This is the synagogue dictated what you would be in that society and where. The moment they lose their place in the synagogue, they lose their livelihood, they lose their income, they lose everything. They lose lineage. They are put out of the community. That's what his parents were afraid of. Now, we have a different look at his parents. This was a legitimate, absolute concern of them. I think in their mind they may have tried to find a way to bypass being direct. I don't think it was that they didn't love their son. But what was the greatest weight on them? Their son or their world? So they, so they again asked the man, called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner, referring to Jesus. Quit saying this man did something good. We give God glory. Which was kind of ironic when the man wasn't trying... I was told to get dirt, the dirt that was in my eye to go wash. I washed, I came back, and now I see. I don't really know. All I know is I was blind, and now I can see. So he answered, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing that I know, I was blind, and now I see. Then they said again to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And I am convinced that the true transformation of this man took place in this moment. 
because he realized man was not going to give him any more glory. There was no glory from mankind towards him. But he could not deny his world was turned upside down. And something birthed in him that a lion started rising on the inside of this man. Because he went from being sympathetic to trying to answer as this vulnerable victim to, I'm taking charge now. All right, I'm done. I'm done with all of this. And he realized at that moment, man had no answer for him. Man had no support for him. Man had no care for him. But God did. And he answered him, I told you already. You did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to be his disciple? This man doesn't even know who he's a disciple of. But whoever he is, I'm in. And you guys, I'm done. And I think there needs to come a point in your heart when it comes to when God speaks to you, you need to stand up to the enemy regardless of all the barrage, all the systems, how everything works. You know what? You keep it. I am going after this. It doesn't come naturally. It comes from the love of God. He cannot get over that God would reach out of heaven and see Him sitting on the road. And something in His heart was crying out for Him. And Jesus reached in and touched Him in the most intimate way that He could and changed His life. He touched God. And it only took a while of listening to the systems around Him to realize, I'm done with what you can do to me. And he went on. Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. Isn't that the truth when God speaks something to us and we create the rules about how things are to be done to accomplish the thing that you need? Maybe God sometimes speaks to your, his, your heart and says, how long do you want to be Moses' disciple? How long do you want to let the law of death dictate your condemnation, your victimization, your sinfulness, how long do you want to let that keep dictating your life? Or, would you like your eyes open to be the one who set you free? Can I tear up your fence that you've made around your small garden? They reviled him. And we said, would they know that God spoke to Moses? Catch this. We have knowledge about what was spoken to Moses. We have deep knowledge of what was written to Moses. But they didn't know God. They didn't even know Moses. They knew about goes on to say, As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why this marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from? Why is it when God shows up and does something in your life that we, we allow the enemy to rob it based on our qualification, what we think it should be. And we don't recognize God is showing up right there in the middle of those small things. And He's guiding us and He's protecting us and He's leading us. We don't know where He's from. Yet He's opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not... Now they respond to Him. We know God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears them. 
Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes who was one that was born blind. Since the world began, no one had had their eyes opened that was born blind. No one. Why are we still looking around? Well, it didn't work for Sam. Well, Sally tried that once and it didn't work out. No one had even thought of asking God to open their eyes. But this man, he dared to believe something different because God doesn't just show up and shove a belief in your face. He doesn't just come up and jam a promise. He doesn't look at you going, you need this promise because you're making me miserable watching you. He does not do that. Your heart starts crying out for something. He's like, yes. And then he brings that. Because that's the thing you'll receive. So this blind man was crying out for something. Paige's arm was not irritating me today. It was irritating her. Since the world began, it was not it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You are completely born in sins, and you're teaching us. And isn't this the case? We finally get solace in our heart to receive. God wants to do something in me. He starts opening us up to a scripture that will change our life, or He gives us revelation of something that is beginning to do something. Thing. And, the, and the enemy first hits us whether anybody will even accept us when we try to share what God spoke to us. Then we go through the whole idea that we get challenged in our theological belief for wanting to trust something that God's speaking to us. And we're talking about believing because we love God. We're not talking about believing because I want my life to be better. Sorry, I didn't mean that like a harsh rebuke. A little passion was flowing there, so let me... Let me take that back. He wasn't saying that because he wanted your life to be better. (laughs) See, he didn't come to make your life better. He came to kill it. So he can bring you into a life that you were designed for. Amen. That's what happened to this man. He didn't keep him. The way he functioned as a blind man is not that he could possibly function as a seeing man. The way we function as a child of God, born of Him, righteous, holy, pure in our spirit before Him, is different than how you operated when you were not. We like doing it sometimes the way we used to do it, because it's familiar. We have a hard time with the newness, because obviously it's not going to be better than what I had if he could have just came in and fixed the thing that was broken before just to make it better. I just wanted the concrete repaired. I didn't need a new driveway. Then he moves me to a new house. I didn't want to leave the house. I just wanted the crack repaired. But he doesn't want you staying in that house. See, when you ask him for freedom, he takes you to the place you'll be free. I suppose if you want to stay in the cracked up cement, he still would probably love you enough to patch it. I'm just saying, it's not the best thing. And then he goes, he finalizes. Uh, The Pharisees finalize to him and says, Who are you, you completely born in sins that are dare to teach us? So they cast him out. Cast them out wasn't just leave the building. Cast them out was leave the community. So he finds himself sitting outside on some stoop somewhere outside the wall. And the moment Jesus heard that he had been cast out, he went and found him. Jesus comes to the step that he's sitting on. I don't know if he's on a step, but for the illustration purposes. Found the step that he was sitting on. Oh, Jesus is so awesome. 
why did he let that man go through all that alone? Why is he coming now, though? Right? Couldn't he have been with him during that whole part? I'm convinced that man knew he was. Because he gave him his word. He did something that transformed his heart, and that was the presence of God for him. Even to the point, say, I'm following him. Don't know who he is. Don't know where he is. Don't know where he's from. Don't know how he got here. But at some point when I find him, I'm following him. So Jesus answers that heart cry. And he beelined it over to this man. Jesus heard that they had cast him out in verse uh, 35. And he found him and said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe? See, he had never met Jesus face to face. He only heard a word of a man, and those words pierced his heart, and he believed them. Now he's coming face to face with the one he believed, but he couldn't even identify him in a crowd because he didn't know what he looked like. Jesus only in two places revealed himself. One was to the woman at the well. And this one. Then he said, Lord, I believe... Or he said, Jesus said to him, You've both seen him. And it is he who's talking to you. And I I was pondering that for a minute. You've both seen him. And it is he that is talking to you. When did he see him before? On the road. Before the dirt and spit happened. He knew there was something different. This is the one. He caught the spirit of him. He caught the words of him, but he never physically met him. He said, I'm that one. You've already seen me before. And as he was talking with you, and he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And I, I sit and ponder this, And this is why it is so important is I'm watching God do something in our age with people that have no frame of reference to how God is supposed to conduct themselves. And they read something and they believe it. And it's happening on a grand scale. And I'm sitting there going, I need to take notes. I had a young man who basically led this little revival, and he was Buddhist, till he came and asked a question with his other friend, not, how do I go to heaven? Not, how do I get my sins forgiven? Not, how do I get my life to be better? You've talked about Father. I want to know God as a Father. Now guess what? It encompasses all those things. And just so you know as you're sitting there, there is no knowing the Father without knowing Jesus because Jesus is the way to the Father. And the only way we can experience the Father is through His Holy Spirit who animates what we are so we know the nature of our Father. Alright? So when I say Father, I'm not a different kind of denominational witness. Alright? I'm referring to this relationship And so he said, can I? I want to know God as a father. So we started talking. And he just came alive. And these these things were happening. And as they started believing, and he prayed, he said, God, if you're real, I, I don't want things. I don't want more money. Even though he had to wait to care for his family since his father died and left him with the family business and it was failing. I just want you to show me how to solve problems. When a problem's in front of me, will you show me how to solve problems? Because that's what a father does with their child. 
In one year, in Thailand, in an economy that lost 20% of their GDP because of this nonsense going on, So you know they do it exactly the same way over there as it here. So someone pre-printed all the signs. I've never seen the world agree on anything. Except power. Anyway. But it's not greater than the glory that's on the inside of you. And it wasn't greater than what was on the inside of Tao. As a machinist, the only thing he knew was a little bit from his father. And he asked God to father him to show him how to solve problems because the clients were leaving because he's younger and his dad had been doing it for years, but he wasn't that skilled in it yet. And so he's losing his clients. He's trying to figure out what to do. And he would make parts for big, heavy machinery. You know, I don't know how they do it out here on the farm. Maybe they go get a new part. But there they wear the things out so much. You got to reshim it. You got to, everything has to be replaced. So he has to rebuild the whole components for heavy machinery. And all of a sudden, he started figuring out how to solve problems that he couldn't ever. And he would like, God would show him how to retool something and how to shim it and how to fix it when it's still stuck in the hole. But we got to fix it first to get it out of the hole. And, and all of a sudden, these ideas started happening. And he said, Brian, you won't believe it. I've never asked for money. I never wanted God just to do so. I wanted just to do it with him. He said... I've handled more money than I ever dreamed I would handle in a lifetime. And I don't, I didn't ask for that. I just asked for solved problems and I, I saw Solomon for the first time, what that looked like when someone would walk with God in his wisdom. What can they do to you when you don't care about your life because it's hidden in someone else? Your wisdom trumps their wisdom. What do you do to someone like that? A prosperity that he had never experienced before. But it was him that came and said, I want to be baptized. I was reading in Acts. We were going through it and Acts says they were, they, the Ethiopians said, hey, is this a good place to baptize me? And he goes, I want to be baptized. We didn't even have the class. We didn't have the baptismal class for five weeks to walk through all the scriptures of why you need to be baptized. How it doesn't determine your salvation, but it's very important to the effects and the fruitfulness of your walk, that it will be a declaration to other people. He didn't have any of those because he grew up Buddhist. And so he wanted to get it cleansed that it would be a public acknowledgement. I'm not that anymore. Even though his mom... He didn't know what would happen with the relationship of his mom and his parents as a result of this decision. He didn't know God would help him. So he had to be prepared to lose him. And he let go. But he goes, I can't deny what he is on the inside of me. I want that. So I said, we try to organize a good, proper Christian celebration, baptismal and a pool and the proper sound and all that stuff and COVID, whatever, did its thing. Thank God. We found a ducky pool. We've never found the ducky pool had we not been forced to find a new way to do, go forward with what God said in the midst of something you can't go do. So I said, we got to use a ducky pool. He goes, it's water. So in front of our office, in the little ducky pool, down he went. Everything changed. And it just started stirring something. This is what I am. He goes, I believed before, but now I declare that I am. Transformation. He heard a word. God wants to be a father. He went and pursued that word. God showed him something. And he started hearing his voice. It wasn't clear. You're navigating, but he knows something's pulling him over here. I know that voice. I don't know what it is yet, but I'm over here. But he had to deal with his family. He had to deal with his position in society. 
He had to deal with those that were working with him. He had to deal with all of these things to the place where people asked him, how can you believe that that's crazy? He goes, you can call me crazy all day long. He talks to me. Something rose up. And I'm watching young people happening. And it's for you. And if we let the love of God overwhelm us, that you know, that you know that He loves you, but He stirs it that you love Him even more, that's the desire of your heart. That's what Paul's talking about. And something happens when you put that love there. You don't care. When you love something, you're willing to sacrifice. Because grace is the freest thing that you could ever possibly receive, but it will cost you everything from the world that you once was. And it is worth it. I'm just saying there's some, many of you are just in. I'm telling you, there's a place in God that He loves you and He wants to take you to new places. And when the, everything around you looks like wrong decision, wrong decision, wrong decision, just anchor yourselves down and stand. Because if you remember Stephen, Stephen, a waiter, all of a sudden full of faith, full of power, healing people, doing all this, he's a waiter. And he's the first martyr and they bring him before the Pharisees, and they do their interrogation, and he just used their words back at them. And the power hit that they, they were angry at this Stephen, and then Stephen has the audacity to look up and say, because where's Jesus? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Not today. He says, I look up, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Why was Jesus standing? That's my boy. That's my daughter. And I think inside this room, there's way more. Oh, you don't have to muscle it up. There's not six more rules to get there. Just let Him love you to the degree you will love Him and something will begin shaping on the inside of you. But don't be afraid of what starts rising. That's glory. Amen. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of His life-changing Word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.